Amen. For the name. Hey, as you're sitting down, grab your copy of the scriptures. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Uh, We are there. It's all about the name, and we're diving into it. Uh, If you're grabbing the Bible from the back of the seats there, I believe it's on page 843, Mark chapter 7. Um, I am just really excited about today, next Sunday, and even from last Sunday. I think these all three are moving together and working together, bouncing off of each other. Uh, Last Sunday, just as a reminder of what we covered, the first half of chapter 7, Jesus has some face time with the uh, religious Gestapo, let's call them. He has some face time with the religious Gestapo, and essentially, he categorically rejects man-made external focused religiosity. He's just, I'm out on that, bag that. And he's basically, let's get at the heart. We are interested in your heart, not some form of religion, and your lip service honor, your lip service worship. In chapter 7, he talks about how it's vain, it's empty, it's meaningless, bag external centered religiosity, bag it. And uh, he is serious about it. He's going after the heart. Last Sunday, we talked a little bit about the heart. The heart, uh, our hearts are just natural producing idol factories. I mean, we just have within us the capability of, of, of just these assembly lines of cranking out idols. And in the end of the text from last Sunday, I mean, just cranking out the idols of pride and envy and sensuality and coveting. And along with that, the context of it, we just have this way of, of kind of producing out this assembly line of looking religious. And Jesus is like, shut that assembly line down, shut it down. And he's going after those boys and letting in on them. And basically a point coming out of that is less be amazed with the external, more be amazed with Jesus Christ. Less being amazed with the external stuff, more being amazed with Jesus Christ. By the way, the way to overtake, the way to shut the assembly lines down of idols in our lives is to be more seeing Jesus. More Jesus, more Jesus, more about the name, more about the name. That's how those assembly lines get shut down when we turn our focus away and over to him. But here's one of the realities that is clicking in for us today. We are slow in getting to understand more about Jesus. We're just slow at it. I'm slow at it. And I'm going to say this. So are you. Welcome to the team. We are slow at becoming more amazed by Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in our text today. Uh, Our text, Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through chapters 8, verse 21. We got kind of a lot of geography to cover, a lot of text to cover. We're just going to dive in. I see here these five events leading up to a big point. Now, I just want to make a comment. One of the things that oftentimes I've observed as people read their Bibles, and especially in the Gospels, is they have this idea that they think the Gospels are put together first and foremost just to tell a biography, to tell a chronological order of things. That's not what the writers, their first priority is about. In fact, their first priority is about moving you to to a point. They have something they want to put on the table for us, and these things are moving. And, And while I appreciate the headings that we have in the Bible, and I appreciate even the chapters and the verse marks, it allows us all to get to one place really quick. One of the things we do is we end up reading our Bible in these little chicken nugget pieces, and we all break them all apart. 
and we don't understand that there's connecting movement. The author is moving our thinking through, I think here, these series of five events moving to a big point, which really the biggest part of the point is coming next Sunday. But we're going to move and pause right before that to a a big point with that. So first, we're going to start out with what I've titled here, three events falling under what I'm saying is a little made a lot by Jesus. A little made a lot by Jesus. So let's work at these three. Uh, The first two events, you don't see the disciples stated in these events, but I believe that they are there and they are present. That was the same case for what was happening last Sunday in the first uh, half of the chapter. So I think we can assume the disciples are with them in these first two events. Let's get these first three events. A little made a lot by Jesus. Event number one, let me read verses 24 through 30. You there? Let's roll. 24, and from there, he, Jesus arose, went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Uh, Here we go. The 26th time the word has been said so far in just seven chapters, and we, if you're new here, you'll kind of get a little bit of a feel for who we are. We are a weird church. Here we go. Verse 25, but immediately... A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Moms, can you imagine? I bet she did. Uh, Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. I bet she did. Verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoa, whoa, was that an insult? We'll get there. Verse 28, but she answered him, uh, she doesn't look like she's insulted. She doesn't look like she's uh, taken back by that. She answers him back, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Okay, event number one, let's, let's work through this. First, where are they, where is this happening? Where's the geography of this? Well, let's pull up a map. This is modern day satellite. You can see Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Lebanon. That's kind of modern day. Let's add, uh, the region that we have at the time. We have Tyre, Sidon cities that, uh, uh, even today, but they're up in this area. Most of our talking so far has been right around that little body of water underneath that white line, the Sea of Galilee. That's mainly been the area. They have now gone way up north. Some time has taken place between last Sunday's events. That line that is going there is just letting you know that north of that is Gentile territory. We were out of Jewish territory, now in Gentile territory, and that makes a difference. So that's the crowd that Jesus is interacting with here. That's kind of the territory. Now what happened? Verse 25, a woman, a Gentile woman, she comes, she falls at Jesus' feet. Verse 26, she begs him to cast a demon out of her daughter. By the way, the same story told in Matthew 15 adds her crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. I'll talk about that in just a second. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. I mean, you can certainly feel a mom here is just an angst over the reality situation of what's going on with her daughter. But note out of Matthew 15, here we are in Gentile territory and a Gentile woman makes a Jewish title statement. 
Why does Mark not include that statement? Because Mark is writing to Gentiles. Matthew is writing to Jews. Can you imagine when a Jew reads that a Gentile woman makes a statement about Jesus that he is the son of David? Listen, that's not just a a, a, a genealogy statement. That is an Old Testament title statement. This woman, a Gentile woman, is getting who Jesus is. And she is just like, this is one of the coolest things that's happening here. How does this Gentile woman know this? Listen, God is at work beyond the borders of just what's happening in Israel here to the world. Uh, and that's what's taking place. Well, for, let's go on here. The, the woman, uh, I'm calling her one of the little people. Uh, the little made a lot by Jesus. Why am I calling her little? Because in the context of the day uh, and the whole plan of what was taking place, one, she was a Gentile or Gentiles. Uh, unless you're from Jewish heritage. She's a Gentile. She's not in the, 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 the people of Israel, God's chosen people, if you will. That'll show here in just a second. She's a Gentile. And ladies, this isn't smack talk. This is just going back in the day. And she was a woman. She really had no uh, uh, power in the day. Uh, she was really kind of oppressed in so many ways. And the fact that a Gentile woman would approach a rabbi was just unheard of. And yet the fact that Jesus is having this whole conversation with her, he is loving this and he is loving her. This is so out of the bounds of typical view of, of, of who can do and be what. So she's a Gentile. She's a woman. Uh, her, her daughter has a demon, is demon possessed. Now, could, would you agree that if the people down the road from you had a child that was demon possessed, you're all like, yeah, they're the one in the house with the demon kid. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, all of these are not putting you in a high status. She's a Gentile, she's a woman, and she's got a demon daughter. Okay? That's just the fact of kind of the context of it. On top of that, Matthew 15 tells us that when she comes to Jesus, and she's like, oh, Jesus, help me. The the disciples go, send her away. That just caps it all up. Because that's how a Jew saw her. It's like, send her away. She's a bother. Don't let her bother you. So even the disciples are on our back. And then we see this statement in here that Jesus makes about, uh, out of Matthew 15, Jesus says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel when she makes this comment. And then in Mark 20, verse 27, he says, let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Was that like a total insult? What's going on here? It wasn't. In fact, the term dogs that's used here is a different term that the common Jew used for the Gentiles. There's different words in the Greek. There was a term for dogs that was referred to generally by the Jews that would call the Gentiles that was referring to a scavenger dog. The kind of dog you hated that came in your trash and ripped it all up and just messed all over and all that. The scavenger dog. That was not the word that Jesus uses here. The word that Jesus uses here for all reality comparatively for today, it's the little pet puppy dog. It's the one that's the pet in your home that you love. That's what he's saying here. He's not smack talking her. He's actually throwing her a bone. Okay, in this. And I mean that because he's making this comment about, listen, but but first for the Jews, but also what about the pet puppy dog? And by the way, you see in the flow of this, 
Uh, this is actually, I'm just, I'll just say it and you'll see. This is actually a statement of hope by Jesus. This is actually a statement of hope. A Jewish rabbi talking with a Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter. And he's throwing this statement out to her. I think in light of what we talked about last Sunday with the Pharisees and the scribes, where Jesus just shuts them down. Jesus is like, I want to see the kind of, uh, the kind of faith in this. I want to see your heart. And what happens? I'm telling you, he lobs this pitch of hope in, finding out if she's going to let it go by or she's going to swing. And I'm telling you, ladies, this gal gets up to the plate and kawam, parks it. Watch this. Watch this. So cool. Uh, She says after this, she's not insulted. She says, well, yes, Lord, let me take it back to you. That's in the Greek. And he says, yes, Lord, yet even the little pet puppy dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Girl, this is, I'm serious. There's some huge theology in what she's doing here. It's the sweetest, coolest thing. She is actually acknowledging the special place of the children of Israel in God's plan. And yet she accepts her place in all that as a Gentile. It's like, that's fine. All I want is some crumbs as one of the pet puppy dogs. All I want is some crumbs off of the table of blessing. And what does Jesus do? Verse 29. (laughs) Girl, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon. By the way, Matthew 15, uh, Matthew adds to it because of the audience he's writing to it. He adds to it and he says, Jesus makes in that statement, a woman, great is your faith. That's what was going on. Here we went from last Sunday to this context of the big dogs, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious looking people. And now we're to this Gentile woman with a demon possessed daughter. And Jesus is like, I'm loving what's in your heart. This is total faith. Way to go, girl. In verse 30, and she went home, found her child, her daughter laying in bed, the demon gone. This no-name Gentile woman pushed away by the disciples, pressed into by Jesus, swings a hold of that Faith plate steps up to the plate and she and everyone is amazed as a result. How cool. A little made a lot by Jesus. Now this is connected. I think the story goes on. Next, a little made a lot by Jesus. Event number two. We'll pick the pace up. Verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. I'll show you that in just a minute. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him, basically to heal him. Verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed. I want to pause there. There's a tendency when we read, we just read right past things. Well, Mark didn't have to make that note there. What does it matter? Oh, it's huge. I think this is one of these little kinds of things that show the emotion and the reality of what's going on in our Savior. Here, our Savior has all of a sudden come into this context of this man who's, who can't hear and he has a speech impediment, which makes sense as a result of not being able to hear. And he's seeing this whole thing and he sighs. It's like the Creator is just having a moment in grasping the reality of his broken creation. And he's just like, oh, 
This all just breaks my heart. Friends, if you have the idea that Jesus is like some, you know, in the movies, some British, you know, logical, like, you know, just kind of willy-nilly or just like, hmm, very stiff and very thoughtful. I just want to tell you, he loves people. And here in this whole thing, as we see him, he's like stepping back at a moment. He's going, oh, 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 oh. And guess what? He's going to do something about it. So here we go. And he sighed and he said to them, I've been struggling all week to say this, Ephatha, <laughs> let's go on. That is be opened, be opened. Uh, again, Mark is writing to Gentile readers. He made a Jewish statement and he just explained it. Be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear, the mute speak. There could be a number of things we could say on this, but I just want to get to the point. Uh, One of it is is they're in the region of the Decapolis. Let's go to the next map. This is down in this area. Uh, Jesus has been up by the Sea of Galilee, kind of on the the west, north, northwest portion of that, most of the gospel so far. And Now he's down in the Decapolis region, 10 cities in that. It's Gentile territory is the point. He's now interacting again with Gentiles. He just had this big uh, hullabaloo with with the Pharisees and the scribes in chapter 7. Now we got two Gentile people interacting with, and it's really sweet stuff. So we're in that area. So a man's friend comes, and and they beg Jesus to lay his hands on him to heal him. And then the man, he has his disabilities of he's deaf and a speech impairment. Uh, you may know of someone like that, or maybe you have had that, where when your hearing goes, you may be able to make noises, but you can't hear to put it all together. And so he could probably make noises, but he couldn't hear himself. And so it's a speech impediment kind of mutinous going on. So what does Jesus do? Uh, look at the text. This is so cool, you guys. He takes the man aside. It's like, I'm not going to make a game out of you. I'm not going to make a show out of you. The cameras are not on. We're not going to make a commercial. I just want to have a moment with you. And so he pulls him aside. And then what happens? The text tells us that what happens is he puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and touches his tongue. What in the world is going on with that? One of the sweetest moments in this whole, all of these stories. Here's what goes on. He pulls this guy, and maybe there are a couple others along with him. He pulls him off to the side. Remember, he's deaf. He can't hear. How does he know what's going on? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus takes his fingers and puts them in his ear like this. I'm coming here. And, and then it says, he spits. I'm coming there. I think, seriously, this is a whole sign language moment. And how sweet is this? Because the guy doesn't know what's going on. The guy's deaf. I'm not saying he's, he's dumb in it. I'm just saying what's happening right at the moment. Why are you pulling me aside? And Jesus just comes in and he's like, I'm coming right here. And I'm coming right there. Is that not the sweetest thing ever? And this is like a one-on-one moment here. And so often we have this idea that God and his grandness and his greatness is doing his thing. And oh my, he is. And yet in it, we're kind of in the wake of it all. Getting like the leftovers of it. And we're trying to ride the wave. 
But these are the kinds of moments where we come in it and yes, the Lord, the Godhead is doing their thing and yet in it so personal. I'm coming here. I'm coming here. And then he says, F. Fafta. Be opened. And the dude's like, and he can speak. By the way, do you notice that the text tells us that he doesn't say he just spoke? Because if you've been deaf for a long time, it takes time, therapy time, for people to get their speaking back. But not with this boy. When Jesus heals him, he can not only hear immediately, but he can talk plainly like he was never deaf in his life. No wonder everybody's amazed. We've got a Gentile woman, a little Gentile woman, if you will, that the Lord steps in and is amazing. And then we've got this little, if you will, Gentile man who the Lord steps in and he is amazing. And let's keep on going because I think the text keeps on moving in these amazement moments. A little made a lot by Jesus. Event number three, verses one through 10. In those days, again, uh, uh, what kind of a crowd? A great crowd, a large crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He calls it, called his disciples to him and he said, uh, I have compassion on the crowd. By the way, remember compassion is not sympathy or pity. Those are emotions. Compassion is an action. So when Jesus is saying, I have compassion on them, buckle up because he's about to do something about it. Because compassion is an action. I have compassion on the crowd, the whole great crowd, not just a few of them, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them uh, have come from far. He's not saying, let's hold them. I got one more sermon to preach. <laughs> that you'd be, You're like, yeah, you'd do that, Doug. Yeah, probably would. But he's thinking of them physically in this. By the way, he's just, we have an example of the Lord stepping in and redeeming a spiritual situation. We have the Lord stepping in and redeeming a person in a physical situation. Now we have the Lord stepping in and making a redeeming moment in a hunger situation. That's just why I think all these are fitting. These are all the Lord's involved in all of it. And so here all of a sudden he comes in with the crowd on it. By the way, note, they've been with him for three days and they're like hungry. Hey, people loved being with Jesus. They would give up meals for it. Hmm. Would we? Are, are, are we wanting to, to be in relation with Jesus so much that even we give up meals? Wow, Ooh, ah, that one hurt. Uh, but they were, verse 4, and his disciples answered him after he said, hey, hey, they've come from far, they're hungry, uh, we got to do something. And the, answers, the disciples answered him, how can we feed these people with bread here in these desolate places? Dudes, chapter 6. We'll come back. Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? So they're like, duh, no idea. Okay, let's do this again. How many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. Uh, and he took the seven loaves. And some of you may be thinking, well, this is the same thing that happened in chapter 6, just being repeated again. No, it's not. And I'll prove it here as we move along. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples, set before the people. They set them before the crowd. 
And they had a few small fish as well. And having blessed them, uh, he said that these also uh, be set before them. By the way, Jesus multiplied all that stuff. That means that Jesus even multiplied dead fish. Do you know that Jesus even can create dead fish ready to eat? I'm telling you, his his, his power is unbelievable. Verse eight, and they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people and then he sent them away. And now for the 27th time in the book so far, verse 10, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of the Dalmatians. Okay, so we'll, that was supposed to be a little funny there, okay, <laughs> amongst the seriousness. So here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus feeds 4,000 people, a pantry of, of seven loaves and a few fish. Uh, the little... The little amount of loaves and the little amount of fish is made a lot by Jesus, right? So the, the Gentile woman's made a lot by Jesus. The, the Gentile man's made a lot by Jesus. And now a little amount of fish and a little amount of bread is made a lot by Jesus. It's all amazing. But I want to bring to our attention what happened in verse 4. <laughs> the people are hungry. And the disciple, hey guys, what are we going to do about it? And he answered them, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Dudes, just a while ago, he fed 20,000. Because in chapter 6, he fed 5,000 men. How soon they forgot. And by the way, before we get too self-righteous, like last Sunday with the scribes and the Pharisees, how soon we forget. How soon we forget what the Lord has done in our lives. And in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the pressure of a physical situation or a spiritual situation or even a food situation, how quickly we forget what the Lord has done in our lives. Boy, step up to the table, step up to the table. And yet I say the same thing to me and I also say the same thing to us. How soon we forget. Three amazing events. Three the little made a lot by Jesus events. By the way, the love and the power of Jesus knows no ethnic boundaries, no racial boundaries, no national boundaries, no gender boundaries. He knows no disability boundaries and he knows no law of physics boundaries. And let's not hold them in. Then 12 have seen it all. Next, verse 11 through 13, the fourth of five events. The big want a lot from Jesus. The big. The Pharisees, verse 11, came and began to argue with Jesus. Not a surprise there. Seeking from him a sign from heaven. Why? To test him. Not to learn, not to confirm, but to play the game. Verse 12, and he sighed. Deeply in his spirit. Second time in our text that this happens. And it's kind of like this. Here come the, here come the big dogs. They're coming to do their little religious game. They're coming to set them up because we already know from the text before they want to take them out. So they're coming to try and set them up. And they come and they talk and say, hey, dude, do some signs for us. And Jesus is just like, here we go again. The creator in a broken creation. But by the way, why did he come? He came to bring mending to the broken creation. He is here in the text, the second person of the Trinity, to go to the cross for the brokenness of what's been made 
allowing the opportunity for the forgiveness and redemption of souls. Verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Just simply here, the Pharisees from the last Sunday, the religious Gestapo, remember that? They're coming and they're all, rah, 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 rah. And Jesus is, calls them straight up. Here's this, this farm kid from Nazareth in their eyes. And he's straight up, he says, you hypocrites. And then right after that, as he's talking to them, he explains to them, remember this? You korban your way out of obedience to the Lord. Korban, real quickly. It was a word that was used back in the day that, that, that a, a person could come and korban, make a korban oath statement over their assets. And so their assets would now be set aside unto the Lord for the temple. And so they could do it for all of their assets. Why would they do that? Well, they would do that to get out of living out the fifth commandment. And back in that day, they actually had the idea that when your parents got old, you would care for them as well. We've lost that. But they, they were in that day, and they, so what they would do to get out of that is they'd corbon their assets. And then mom and dad over here, you know, are all hurting and about to die. And they're like, mom and dad, I'd love to help take care of you. But we gave an oath to the Lord regarding all our assets. And so we can't sell or use our assets to help you. You're just going to have to die. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you hypocrites. You corban your way out of obedience with the Lord and you even use scripture to justify yourself because you go and you say, once you make an oath, you can't get out of it. The Bible says that. And here, these are the same guys coming to him. I bring to the table, like what were they asking for? John 6, 30 to 31 describes another situation taking place, but, but similar in that it tells that they came and they said, do a miracle and then we'll believe you. And, and they give the examples of show us like manna from the wilderness, like way back in the Old Testament. So you got this idea, what they're expecting is they're saying, hey, Jesus, do like the manna from heaven thing, because only God could do that. Do the fire pillar thing, Jesus, do that. And know that the heart behind what's happening here, this is not the situation to where they are testing the Lord in faith. Okay, I think you see in the Psalms at times where it's like, Lord, show us yourself. We want to press into you. You say, come to me and lay our request before you. You say, I'm pressing into you, Lord. I just want to see more of you, Lord. I really want to see. Listen, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking the kind of idea that here they are, they are testing Jesus in unbelief. And Jesus is like, I don't play that game. I don't play that game. And so Jesus is like, we're out. Do you notice in the text? And verse 13, and he left them and got in the boat. I'm out of here, man. Don't play that game with you. So here we have three, the little made a lot about, um, the little made a lot by Jesus events. This one, the big want a lot uh, from Jesus event. And we come to the fifth and final event, the little forgot a lot about Jesus. The little forgot a lot about Jesus. Verses 13 and 14 set the context. Verse 13, we've already read. And he left them, got into the boat, went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Okay, Here's my comment. Who cares? 
I mean, seriously, who cares what inventory they have in the boat? I don't know. Did they have some rope? Did they have some fish net? Who cares? It cares because Mark is setting up the context of our understanding of what's happening. Okay? They're getting in the boat. They're going to the other side. They've just left this event. And by the way, they had forgotten to bring bread. He's helping the reader, us. They forgot to bring bread, but there was one loaf of bread there. So they're going across. Row, 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 right? Verse 15. And Jesus cautioned them saying, now, now, had there been a discussion before this that led up to this statement? Had Jesus just been one of those days? We used to do this to our kids. And I encourage you to do it with your kids. Like you're driving down the road, the kids are in the car. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you guys, how, how is it that green leaves turn to yellow or red? And then just let them talk. Well, I think it's because like at night, you know, a boogeyman comes down and paints them all or something. You know, just some of the most interesting things come up for your kids and you don't answer it. Just let it hang. But what are you doing? You're trying to get them to observe and to think. Hey, you guys, what do you think about? Hey, you guys, what do you think about? The conversation before doesn't matter. The question on the table is what matters. I think this is what's going on. They're like going along and Jesus, Mark gets at it and Mark says, hey, Jesus asked them a question, made a statement. Uh, guys, uh, watch out. Uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, that makes sense because that was the context right before. And so obviously they are probably thinking, and Jesus is wanting to do a teaching moment here. Hey guys, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. These guys are so smart. I mean, they are tracking with them, aren't they? Not. Let's hit on this for a moment. Jesus grabs this moment to teach. Uh, Mark tells us that there's no bread that's been brought. That's setting us up for this. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of Herod. Leaven. Uh, What is leaven? Uh, Leaven, Exodus chapter 12. At the Passover, there's to be no leaven in the bread. Leaven is like yeast. It's what makes the bread rise. In Exodus 23 and 24, uh, God's people are told, do not put leaven in the offerings that are made. Uh, Galatians 5, leaven is talked about how it's small and hidden, but it spreads to the whole. Well, that makes sense in a loaf of bread. You can get that idea. But leaven is also in Galatians 5 talked about as false doctrine. 1 Corinthians 5, it's talked about as unjudged sin. And Luke 12, and I think this is where the exact tie is, the idea is, leaven is referred to as illustration of hypocrisy. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, guys, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and beware of the hypocrisy of Herod. We'll talk more about Herod down the road. And he's laying this teaching moment out. And here he is talking spiritual truth. And they hear the spiritual truth conversation. And they're talking belly truth. Is what's going, yeah, you're right. Speaking of leaven, where is the bread? I'm kind of hungry. Can you just imagine Jesus? It's just like somewhere in there, Greek, there's got to be another sigh. It's like, really? Really? And so here he's moving along. He's talking eternal stuff. They're thinking mundane stuff. And yet I will also say one more time, that is so us. That is so us. How quickly we disconnect. You know what I'm talking about. You know, so many serving children's ministry and so grateful for that. Do you know how when you're, you're there and you're loving on them, you're working on the verse, you're teaching something and you're talking about something and they're off in puppy dog, kitty cat land. And you're like, is anything going on here with us? 
And it's kind of like, no, but you just keep at it. Small group, sometimes you feel that. You Here you are diving into Hebrews, you're diving into Hosea, and you're just wondering if other people are like, you know, on the Colts game uh, with what's coming up. Uh, sometimes in church, you know, you're just laying your heart out there, and, and then the roof just goes with things, and you're just like, oh, with that. And or here's, here's a better one. Me at home with Karen. And Karen's talking with me about something serious, and I'm just like, duh. And she's like, hello. Okay, listen, we are all this way. The disciples are not getting it. And the reason I'm kind of hitting this is because it gives us hope. We are slow to get it. And so are the disciples. And so are we. How little we get, how soon we forget. Five events. How does Jesus respond to the fifth event? I think out of this fifth event is how we see a big point here. So what does Jesus do? Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, you guys so irritate me. I want to tell you, this is really, really encouraging, seriously. Because even when they don't get it again and again and again and again and again, he tries to help them. Look at, look at the, the manner and what he does. There's actually eight questions here. I would encourage you to circle the question marks on each of these. It'll help you remember what Jesus is doing. By the way, parents, the way you draw your kids out is ask questions. Jesus is aware of this and he says to them, here we go, let's go down through these eight. Number one, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? I would call that the presenting problem. You know, I'm kind of in counseling. What's the presenting problem? That's the problem. Uh, what's that? Uh, you're discussing the fact that we have no bread and I'm trying to take this vertical. I'm trying to bring a spiritual truth into this and you're not on target with me. So what happens? So Jesus puts the issue on the table and then he drives a little further to help them see the spiritual reality of what's going on here. Next three questions. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Let me pause. Uh, Friends, I, I would say these three questions right there are the kinds of questions that you and I should be asking ourselves all the time with what's going on. In it, as we go through life, it's, it's like, am I having a hard time understanding what's going on? Well, here's three questions you can ask yourself. Am I yet, am I right now not perceiving or understanding? That, that may be exactly the case. I'm not getting what's going on. At least we know that. Uh, is my heart hardened? In this whole thing. Do I have eyes to see but I'm not seeing? By the way, the way the context is telling it is telling us that we have the ability to see. We have been given the ability to hear. The problem is we're not seeing and we're not hearing. And so he's helping them. The presenting problem, then he draws it to the heart. And and then here we go, uh, kind of to the how to get at the solution. And question number five, I'd encourage you to circle it because it's huge. I think it's the center of this along with the last question. And the question number five is, and do you not remember that was the problem? That was the problem with what was going on. Do you not remember? We'll come to that. And then he's like, like, let me give you some examples. Uh, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they're like, uh, 12, 12, yeah, 
Good, 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 good. And the next question. And the seven for the 4,000. By the way, did you just notice that Jesus referred to two events? Feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. There are people out there who say that these events are the same, but they're all screwed up and they're all confused. No, no, no. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. These are two unique events from each other. And Jesus puts it out there. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? And they said to him, seven. He's like, way to go, way to go, way to go. I got some smart guys in the boat with me. Those are under the question of, and do you not remember? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Listen, guys, we have a problem right now on the table. And I want you to think about your heart. And as you're doing that, here's a solution to it. You need to remember what the Lord has done in your life. Are you remembering what the Lord has done in your life? You see, because when we get in events, when we get in the moment, when we get in the heat of life, we forget. Because right now what is what's important. Because right now my health situation is the thing. No, no, because right now the, the conflict in a relationship is the thing right now. And everything back here is gone and out of mind. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You see, I'm in this whole thing. Stay with me on this. And the key to understanding this moment is by attaching and connecting the dots to all the things that the Lord has done in the past to know this. The Lord that was involved in all of these things here is the same Lord that even though it doesn't feel like it right at this moment is the same Lord that's involved here. So remember that. And you may be here today and it's like, man, I'm so dry. Dry bones before the Lord. What do you need to do? It's time to remember what the Lord has done. And by the way, do you see at the end here? Verse 21, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? And I think this is like the, okay, I brought the presenting problem. I took it to the heart. You need to remember and it's time to give you a little loving get at it. It's time to start understanding. It's time to be remembering what the Lord has done. Question five is the solution to the goal of question eight. The Lord wants us to understand, but being an understanding people means that we have to remember what the Lord has done. The disciples had a spiritual memory disorder. They had spiritual Alzheimer's, we could call it. But it gives me hope. And I hope it gives you hope because he didn't throw them out of the boat. He just loved on them to help them. I know you're slow, but watch and hear me and remember what the Lord has done. They forgot about the Gentile woman with the demon-possessed daughter and how amazing Jesus was in that. In the moment that they were going, they forgot about how amazing Jesus was with the deaf, speech-impaired Gentile man. In the moment, they forgot about how Jesus had been amazing in feeding 4,000 people. In the moment, they had forgot about how Jesus had gone and stood up and taken care of the conflict with the religious, pious Gestapoites and how Jesus was amazing there. And in it all, they forgot Could Jesus, like he was amazing there, could he also be amazing in this moment? And the answer to that is yes, but we need to remember that. So friends, it's time to remember. It's time to remember. I'm going to give you an assignment. 
I love you enough that I'm going to help us. Here's what I want for you to do this week, maybe at lunch. Three questions you need to think through, and I would encourage you if you want to journal down, journal down. Question number one is this. What has the Lord done in your life? What has the Lord done in your life? Hey, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to the place where you've realized you're a sinner separated from God and in need of a Savior, and you've come to that place where you've received Christ as your Savior, you know this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Lord has redeemed you and raised you and seated you with him. He has removed your sin before the Father. He has covered you. The Spirit of God has indwelt you. You are owned by him, sealed by the Spirit. You are his. And if that's all that you can remember, what the Lord has done without connecting other things in your life, that's all you need. So number one, remember what the Lord has done in your life. Number two, remember what the Lord has done in others' lives. You see, the Lord created us to be people with people. And and a lot of times, especially in our culture, we raise people that you're strong if you're independent. And here's what ends up happening for uh, people who walk with Christ and are all independent on their own is when they get through life and they get of times and they're having a hard time remembering what the Lord has done in their own life. They don't have other people around that the Lord is working in their life to, 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 to draft off of them. That, that's why small groups is a place to be around people to find out what's the Lord doing in your life. And it's just, I look around this room and I'm looking in this room and, and I'm just like, people come to mind and what the Lord has done in here. Well, Doug, tell us all those things about what the Lord has done. Listen, that, that, that's, that's pampering you. We're the kind of church where we're kind of muscle it up and it's like, no, no, no. You need to be with people. And you need to man up and woman up and be around people to hear what the Lord has been doing in their lives and draft off of that, baby. What has the Lord been doing in you? What has the Lord been doing in people around you? And third, what has the Lord done in Scripture? Because, friends, you know, time. Um, So often we read the Bible to get a piece of fact. And a big part of the reason is, is we're to be reading the Bible on an ongoing basis is to help us remember what the Lord has done. Did you know in these five events right here, when you sit back and you spend the time like we have with this, it's like, bam, Jesus is amazing. And we're reminded of that from events that happened some 2,000 years ago, people I didn't even know. But it's like, man, Scripture is filled with this. That's, this is why I love narrative, because it's just not a didactic form of intellectual information. We're supposed to feel it and experience it and be in it, and it's like, bam, I needed that. And these are reminders of that. So here's your homework. Go home, talk at lunch. What has the Lord done in you? What has the Lord done in others? By the way, with others, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on. What has the Lord done in you? What has the Lord done in others? And also... What has the Lord done in Scripture? And walk out of that and be amazed by Jesus. Because being amazed by Jesus is the source and the power and the objective to be able to shut the idol factory down. So lastly, I'm a few minutes over, but I'm going to leave you with something to remember and that the Lord might use 
to have us be amazed with him. A number of you some two and a half years ago or so have seen the story of uh, Kevin and Susan Duffy. Uh, We have it on video. Let's take some time and let's remember what the Lord has done. I want to close with just a a passage. We're going to sing a song here. um, Just as back to the Lord, uh, telling what's what. Um, Let me just read this for you. Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. Psalmist says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Remember what the Lord has done. I remember, I meditate, I ponder. Then verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Do you see what just happened there? When you remember what the Lord has done, you reach out, grab a hold. So today for you, it's time to remember. It's time to remember and pursue the Lord. And I also just, they didn't know this, but Brock and Erica just haven't come up. Brock and Erica are up in Chicago. They're getting ready to lead the plant on the south side of Indianapolis. And we're just honored to be working with them. They're going to be actually living here in January. And we're excited about that. But uh, I also want to use this, this moment and say this. Remember this moment. I mean, just this right now. And let's see what the Lord does on the south side of Indianapolis. Okay? The Lord's done a work in your guys' life a lot. A lot of remembering what the Lord's done, right? Use that with what's about to come. You'll need to cling to it. Love these guys. And it's time to sing adoration to the Lord.